Jesus loves you. My name is Kalen Heller. For those of you that I haven't met, there's some faces that I've seen, but I know I haven't um, taken the time to get to know you, so forgive me for that. Um, my family and I have been part of Buffalo City for a little over a year and a half now, um, so it's my privilege to uh, be with you this morning. Um, so um, I have the opportunity to share with you from God's Word uh, today on Sunday, but my uh, Monday through Friday job is working as a hospice chaplain, um, and so I wanted to share with you one of the stories um, uh, from an interaction that I had with one of my hospice patients. So that's where we're going to begin with this morning. Uh, and so it happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it was like on a Wednesday morning. I found myself in the nursing home room of a man that we'll, we'll call him Hank this morning, uh, who was a hospice patient of mine, whom I was about to meet for the very first time. And as I waited for his aide to finish helping him get dressed in his bathroom, I took the opportunity to learn more about him through a few photographs that were hung on his wall. And the first picture that caught my attention was one of this strapping young soldier standing next to what appear, appeared to be uh, his aircraft that he had flown on while serving our country. It looked as though it was probably from the early 1950s, uh, and this young man had a somewhat goofy yet intriguing grin on his face as he rested his shoulder against the tail section of the plane that proudly displayed the U.S. aircraft symbol, the one with the star with the two lines that go across, if you've seen that one. And then immediately to its right hung another picture that was also black and white, and it, it was of a high school football team. Uh, they were wearing their pads and their jerseys and then the traditional leather helmet, um, which I'm glad I never had to wear. Um, I already have enough issues. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it, it read on top of it, 1948 State Champions, and it was written in pencil. And as I look more closely at the photograph, I noticed a faded circle in the upper right-hand corner around number 46. And the next photograph to that one was in color. So this was the first picture that was in color. Um, and it had the year 1973 stamped in the upper left-hand corner. Uh, and it displayed Hank, who is now sporting this really beautiful handlebar mustache. For those men that love handlebar mustaches and their wives that probably could, don't care for them. Um, but he was wearing uh, a bright yellow shirt, and he was standing right in front of his international combine out in the field. And he had uh, two boys, which I'm presuming were his sons, one that was about eight, the other was about 10, standing uh, right next to him. And the final picture in the room was actually not hung on the wall, but it was on Hank's nightstand. In this photograph, it brought a smile to my face for a couple of reasons. The first was, is that it was just so totally from the 1980s. Uh, you know, the, uh, both of them had really big rim glasses. Uh, the woman had extremely poofy bangs, um, which I think is funny. Uh, and then uh, the second thing that brought a smile to my face was that it was obvious to see that this couple loved each other and that they were comfortable with one another. And it was about at that moment when the bathroom door swung open and a woman came out pushing this elderly man in a wheelchair. The man had silver white hair that had been neatly combed and parted. And the mustache that uh, had been in his former younger years had been replaced by this freshly clean shaven face. And he offered a kind smile. And with a quiet voice, he said, I'm Hank. 
It's nice to meet you, Reverend. Now, friends, I'm going to go back to that story a couple times throughout the message this morning, but before we uh, continue on with that story, we want to look at our text this morning. So if you have God's word with you, would you uh, stand with me as we're going to be reading from uh, Psalm 8, which is our text this morning. The psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You can be seated. So as we just read, the psalmist does not waste any time getting to the matter at hand. He, he says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you see the name here, the name Lord, it's as you see in your Bible that it's all capitals, L-O-R-D. So it's Yahweh that he's referencing. And the psalmist emphasizes God's name because the very nature of the name Yahweh speaks to its majesty in all the earth. The author writes that God has set his glory above the heavens. Think about that. His glory is above the heavens. It's higher than what you or I can possibly imagine or conceive. You see, it's so high, in fact, that the psalmist cannot help but to shout praise at the sound of the Lord's name. Old Testament scholar and professor Alan Ross says, the point is not that all people on the earth know the Lord or acknowledge his power and his glory, but rather that the faithful know and acknowledge that he is the mighty sovereign over all. And I believe that this is the first point, friends, that the author is trying to make, and that's that God's people must praise the majesty of our creator. We must praise the majesty of our creator. You see, since the Lord's glory has been set above the heavens, then the only appropriate response that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ is to submit ourselves to him and to praise his majesty that sits above the heavens. Now, if you struggle to praise the Lord and submit to his commandments like, honestly, I often do, then it's because you and I, we have this faulty understanding of what our relationship is to God himself. You know, far too often we fail to acknowledge the power and the grace that were displayed in and through Christ's sacrifice for us. You see, because, friends, we have worth in the sight of God, but we know that we're a mess. 
right? Let's be honest with ourselves. We're a mess. We have a lot of issues. You know, we work tirelessly trying to conceal our weaknesses and to showcase our strengths. And I think most of us Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, we'd say that we do this as much as non-Christians. You know, how many pictures do we have to take of ourselves or of our children before we finally find the one that we deem postable for Facebook? I think the answer is about eight, right? I mean, usually it's like, um, like I didn't know that I had a double chin, or I've got an eye here, my eye is here, or my hair is in my face, or my kid is crying. Or how about the way that we emphasize our physical appearance so that it distracts from the fact that our marriage is not looking so good? Or the way in which we play up our handyman skills because we're so terrified that others will know that we struggled in school. Yet I think it's so ironic that the psalmist states that it is out of the mouth of babies and infants that God has established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. The NLT puts it this way, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. So in general, what the psalmist is saying here, or what he's telling us, is that God has chosen to work through those who appear to be weak and insignificant in the sight of others. And when Hank was pushed out of the bathroom in his wheelchair that morning, the first thing I noticed was that he had a colostomy bag attached to his stomach that was resting on his lap, and his legs were severely swollen. And truthfully, it made me extremely sad to see this once vigorous, strong, young man in such a state of brokenness. You know, and I I find it interesting how it's not just us as individuals that accentuate our strengths and we try to hide our weakness, but we as a culture, we have a tendency to do this as well. This is done on a larger scale than just on a personal level. The strong and aesthetically pleasing get to star in commercials while the weak and worn are hidden away. And those of us that find ourselves in the middle of those two spectrums, we try desperately to attain to this one standard while at the the same time we try our hardest to stave off the next. You know, right now, the impact of COVID has caused most nursing homes to place really strong restrictions on who or who not can receive entrance into their facilities, which honestly has caused a lot of outrage for families, Um, a lot of weeping and sorrow because they're not able to be with their loved ones. You know, I, I hurt for these families that find themselves in this difficult situation, but I cannot help but wonder How many family members were actually taking the time to visit their loved one prior to when they were told that they could not enter the facility? You know, if we were to walk the hallways prior to March of 2020, we would have still seen a lot of people in their room staring at us, waiting for someone to come and visit them. You see, loneliness existed far before the pandemic. And I think that the church, friends, has adopted 
this understanding of what it means to be strong and what it means to be weak. They've adopted the culture's understanding of this. And honestly, I've done this. I do this regularly. I did this with Hank. You know, I saw this elderly man sitting in a wheelchair with this colostomy bag on his lap and Ted socks around his ankles, and I immediately had this misconceived notion that somehow Hank was somehow less than. And as I got to know Hank better, I found just how wrong I really was. Um, I judged him very poorly. Yes, Hank had a lot of physical limitations. In fact, uh, he hadn't been able to walk for the previous 10 years by the time I got to know him. Yet it was his embrace of his weakness that allowed him access to the source of strength. Did you catch that? It's his embrace of his weakness that allowed him access to the source of strength. And here the psalmist is, he's referencing, if we look at our Bible, he's referencing the weakness of children. But to be real frank, there's a lot of similarities between the weakness of children and the weakness of the elderly especially when it comes to caring for themselves. You know, those of us who work in the healthcare industry or have aging parents or perhaps aging grandparents, we can attest to this. Because like a child's cry for help after she falls off the bunk bed is no different than a nursing home resident pushing his call light button repeatedly because he has to use the restroom. You see, in both instances, whether the little girl or the elderly man are aware of it, whether they know it or not, they are acknowledging and utilizing their weakness to receive strength. Alan Ross puts it this way, when the cries of children are heard by parents who are strong, so the strength then resides in the cry of the one who has access to one who embodies strength. So in other words, just because someone appears to be weak and vulnerable, does not mean that they do not have access to divine strength. You see, this is the way that God has ordered his creation. And this, this transitions me into my second point for us this morning, which is, you are weak, and that is not a bad thing. You know, friends, you're weak, and I'm weak too. And I, I have a perfect example of this because this morning, my wife asked me the question, when do you think was the last time you put on your pants without tripping? I did. I fell against her, her closet. And I do this like at least once a month. You know, we really need to stop pretending that we're strong. We need to stop pretending that we have it together. Because even if we are strong, God's strength is significantly stronger than ours. And the crazy thing is, is that God, he loves our weakness. Because it gives him this ample opportunity to display his strength, which he then uses to silence our enemies and all that oppose us. This is the way that God tells Satan, shh. No more talking. You're done talking. You can leave my child alone. You see, in the psalmist, he's well aware of his own weakness. And it, 
it leads him to reflect further on the strength and the majesty of the Lord, which he does in verses 3 and 4. He says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Friends, when I read this verse, I cannot help but imagine the psalmist standing outside, looking into the night sky, and feeling absolutely overwhelmed. You see, in contrast to the sheer size and grandeur of the moon and the stars, man is tiny and the psalmist, he recognizes it. He feels the weight of his insignificance in comparison to the expansiveness of God's creation. Therefore, he asks the question, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You know, friends, these are questions that we as believers need to be asking ourselves regularly. But here the psalmist is is asking them rhetorically because he knows the answer. He knows that men and women, the elderly, children, anywhere in between that we're frail. We are fallen, weak beings. And here he's displaying his amazement that God, the God of the cosmos, would pay any attention to him at all. You see, the psalmist is blown away by the fact that not only does the Lord, Yahweh, not only does the Lord remember him, but that he actually does things on his behalf. You see, the one who created everything does stuff for him. The one who created everything does stuff for you and me. He actually does things for us. He cares for us. And last Sunday, if you were with, with us, you heard uh, John preach on Psalm 40, where, where the author of the psalm says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. See, and not only does the Lord take thought for us, but verse 5 tells us that God has made him, God has made us, mankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings and has crowned us with glory and with honor. See, these terms glory and the term honor are ones that are usually only ascribed to God, but here they're given to us. You see, and in step with God's good order of creation, God has crowned humanity with glory and honor for a purpose, which the psalmist tells us in verses 6 through 8, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Now, if these verses are especially familiar to you, it's because he's essentially quoting, in a lot of ways, Genesis 1 and 2, where the Lord initially places all of creation under the authority of mankind. You see, God's original design was flawless until we got involved, until humanity appeared, and that we decided that our position of glory and honor, which the psalmist tells us was just a little lower, just a little lower than the position of the heavenly beings, was not enough for us. Friends, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 
And we made it all the way to chapter 3 before we messed things up. We made it all the way to chapter 3 before we made a mess of God's perfect creation. See, God's perfectly ordered universe became infested with our sin. Ross writes, in the New Testament, the apostles point out that because of the presence of sin, mankind has not ruled over God's creation as intended. Creation is not in submission, but in chaos. You know, although the photographs in Hank's room displayed, um, or seemed to display, I should say, this quintessential story of a good soldier and a loving father and a devout husband, Hank shared with me over the course of our time together aspects of his past that were wrought with sin. See, some of his decisions and some of his actions, they were so heinous in scope that it not only wrecked relationships, but actually had a direct impact on him losing the use of his legs 10 years prior. And during our last conversation prior to his death, I asked Hank what took place in his life that led him to so fully embrace his physical limitations. And he responded by saying this, which I absolutely love. He said, My weakness brought me to the foot of the cross where I found all the strength that I ever needed. Friends, today we celebrate Advent. Because when Christ comes again, and he will come again, he will restore order to our chaotic world. He will once and for all put all that is contrary to the will of God to an end. And the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that not only will Jesus Christ put creation under his feet, but that he will subdue all things visible, invisible, and last of all, he will subdue death itself. And why? Friends, because he alone is worthy. The psalmist cries, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He does this twice in this passage. Verses 1 and 9, because of what John has proclaimed in Revelation 5. Verse 5, where he says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And friends, as, as Buffalo City Church, as God's people, we have been crowned with glory and with honor to enact dominion over the Lord's creation. So what does that mean? That means that we do not use creation for our advantage. We don't manipulate the things that God has deemed as good for our own selfish gain. As followers of Christ, we have been crowned with glory and honor to display. Display, to proclaim, to live out before a broken world the power and the majesty of the name that is above every other name, which includes our names. My final point for us this morning is that our position of power has been given not earned. 
You see, the success that we experience in life is not accomplished under our own power, no matter what anyone tells us. And therefore, friends, we are not the ones that should be receiving glory for it. You see, it's nothing short of God's goodness and grace that you and I were created, let alone crowned with glory and honor and given the privilege to reign over the Lord's creation. And as God's people, we have divinely ordained responsibilities to care well for God's creation. Then, when the incarnated Son of God returns to fulfill the Lord's plan for creation, he will once again clearly demonstrate the power and the majesty of the Lord who has overcome the world. Hebrews 2 makes it clear that the heavenly being that mankind was made a little bit lower than is none other than Jesus Christ. Therefore, friends, our praise must be directed to him because it was his death on the cross that made us right in the eyes of the Father. It's because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross that we can be considered worthy in the sight of God. You see, it's Jesus and Jesus alone, the one whose name makes us shout praise and makes us shout glory and honor. Because he doesn't send his boy to be born in a stinky stable and to be gruesomely murdered for no good reason. He did it because he loves you. And he wants you to be with him forever. Friends, I'm going to close us with a prayer this morning. Um, this prayer is, uh, was written by a man named David Redding. Um, it's entitled, What is God's Prayer? So would you close your eyes as I read this? Oh God, you know my prayers before I ask them. What is your prayer? You have done so much for me. What do you want me to do for you? Oh Lord, I do not have you in my power, pocketed in this place to do my religious pleasure. The whole world is in your hands. If I can just remember how important you are, my wishes will not matter so much to me anymore. And I will get caught up in you and your desire. So far, I will forget what I came for, lost in the wonder of why you came for me. Amen.